0: This is Ken Forster, Executive Director of Momenta Partners and Momenta Ventures. Welcome to our Digital Leadership Podcast. In this series of conversations, we capture insights from the best and brightest minds in digital industry. They're executives, entrepreneurs, advisors, and other thought leaders. What they have in common is like our team at Momenta, they are deep industry practitioners. We hope you find these podcasts informative, and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Good day and welcome to episode 111 of our Digital Leadership Podcast produced by, for, and about digital industry leaders. Today, I'm excited to introduce a special guest, Lieutenant Colonel J.J. Snow, the Chief Technology Officer of the United States Air Force AF Works Program. Lieutenant Colonel Snow has over 18 years of successful military leadership and management experience in the defense and intelligence community. She's a recognized team builder and innovator focused on tackling the nation's toughest problems by leveraging non traditional unconventional solutions and collaborating with world class innovators who are driven to make a positive difference. What a great intro jj (laughs) welcome welcome to to this and so the back the back channel on all of this is i was in the u.s military and in an enlisted status so we were just joking how difficult it is for me to refer to uh, a an an officer in the military as anything but their officer rank and so she's given me the permission (laughs) to call her jj through this and uh so welcome jj it's great to have you on this podcast
1: Oh, Ken, thanks so much. I'm really delighted to be here and and I really appreciate the opportunity to share more about uh, what AffWorks has been up to and, and just so excited. There's so many cool initiatives going on and, and it's it's great to be able to get that out to the public. So thanks for having me today.
0: Absolutely. So let's start with a little bit of your history because I think it's quite salient to uh, what you've developed. Tell us a bit about your background and really how it has informed your views of innovation and technology.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I have a bit of a diverse background. I actually started off as an intelligence officer and predominantly worked special forces or special mission units almost my entire career. Absolutely loved it. What I will say is, by being in these types of really leading edge environments, we were constantly challenged by emerging technologies. We were constantly learning and doing. And we had a great degree of freedom to experiment and try new things. And I would definitely credit that background uh, to my success as an innovation officer now. It seems that from an
0: early age, you were destined for government service. I saw originally that you worked with in the US Fish and Wildlife Service, and then the US military. What attracted you to serve your country as you do?
1: So a couple of things. Um, the majority of my uncles and both of my grandfathers served in the military and so when i was growing up i always had a sense of pride about that i remember you know any of memorial day labor day july 4th we would go veterans day for the different parades and uh my relatives my uncles my grandfather would point out hey this unit did this this unit did that i know some of my buddies are here and they would tell their stories and um That was really inspirational for me. Uh, uh, There were a lot of uh, fun tales, and then there were some serious tales too. And and that really inspired me because the focus was always about giving back. Um, And then how can we give back in such a way that we can see others achieve? So I I was raised to believe that if you see a problem um, or you see an issue, you don't complain about it. You figure out a way to fix it. You get, you get in there, you get involved, and you try to change it for the better. And so as I was coming up, I also learned a lot about a lot of uh, the different emerging environmental issues. Um, and I got into writings and readings and a number of, of speaker events uh, for folks like Jane Goodall and Rachel Carson, Jacques Cousteau, Marty Stauffer from Wild America. And that gave me a passion to contribute for um, or in the area of environmental conservation. That's how I got into the Fish and Wildlife Service. Loved it, did it for five years, but the Fish and Wildlife Service made a mistake. They sent me back for a degree in political science uh, with a minor in environmental policy, and I was going to move into the the refuge manager track to become a wildlife refuge manager. And at the time, uh, you had to focus on a specific area of the world, a regional expertise to get the degree. I had never done any work on the Middle East, Africa. And so I was really interested in that. And that happened to be uh, right around the time the bombing took place in the USS Cole. And the very first class I had assigned me um, the topic of, of writing about and researching about this guy I'd never heard of, Osama bin Laden, and the bombings that he had conducted in uh, Africa. And so wow. I'm, I graduated. Um, in fact, within a few months of, of graduating from the course, um, I had already decided that I wanted to go join the FBI at the time. I was midway through their process and 9-11 happened. And uh, I was actually in my Middle Eastern policy class, one of them at that time. And I remember seeing the, the planes hit the buildings. Wow. And the shock of, of that moment and everybody in the classroom felt that way. And uh, that, that was what took me from my passion for environmental conservation over to, okay, it's time that I get into the military and figure out not only why this happened, but how can we stop it from happening again in the future? And that got me into the intel career field and led to what I'm doing today.
0: Excellent. Well, in 2014, you attended the Naval Postgraduate School. Um, And I was interested because you were focusing your research on the area of emerging disruptive technologies. So you were clearly ahead of your time, specifically in new threat vectors. I see that you were one of only three female military candidates in a program of about 267 candidates. So first of all, congratulations, because that was a accomplishment <laughs> of in and of itself at the time.
1: Thank you. But what were some of
0: the, the key insights from your research at the time?
1: So this was, it was really fun. Um, I was so grateful to have been selected to the Naval Postgraduate School because it's a really unique opportunity. And the, uh, the specific track that I got involved with was called Defense Analysis with a focus on low intensity conflict and emerging technologies. Um, the majority of the students in that specific course set are all special operators from around the globe. So with my background coming in as an Intel officer, there were a lot of seniors that were saying, hey, we need to get smart on you know, these increasingly fast-paced technology evolutions that are happening. And we, we want to understand what does that mean for security, for the economy, for society, for, for governance. Um, and so I, I, I went in to, uh, to the Department of Energy and they had a, a program looking at the impact of additive manufacturing. And this was it was really fun because... Nobody else was, was excited about it. Of course, I'm geeking out because I'm like, oh, I love 3D printing, this is so cool. And um, we began to explore how this technology was moving very, very quickly, um, exponentially, if you will. So what, what turned out, it, it turned into not just 3D printing, but I wound up looking at things like synthetic biology, advanced genomics, neurotechnology, nanotechnology, quantum, high performance uh, and cloud computing, the internet of things, advanced robotics, uh, programmable materials, all of that, these were all areas that were moving very, very fast and in new ways that we hadn't seen technologies moving before. Um, and in large part, the interest was because there's so many unknowns and that, that rapid pace of advancement um, was really starting to impact uh, the discussions around what do we do from a national security perspective? What do we do from a policy and regulation perspective? And then what are, what are the threats? Because this is a really complex space. And so we, we really wanted to um, kind of dive in and, and set the stage early so that we're not making dangerous mistakes and that as we're moving more and more into these technology influenced environments, we could decide, hey, this is a risk. This is a potential opportunity and here's how we balance those out smartly um and by getting ahead of it and understanding what these different technologies were bringing to bear and how they were changing not just one sector but sometimes multiple sectors all at once very fast um was was a key insight that came out of this research i, I gotta tell you ken it was a blast uh the professors out there absolutely top notch such a big fan of the the school and um I was so grateful for them for, for sponsoring me in this and, and the Department of Energy as well. Um, when I, I told them, hey, I, I want to talk to hackers and makers, and I want to try out these new techniques and, and test out this tech, nobody ever told me no. They said, go and do it and let's see what happens. So it, it was a fantastic experience. And, and I, just, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't ask for a better opportunity. And that actually launched me into my current career
0: excellent well i was gonna say i guess it all converged together because in 2016 you started what i'll say is a series of assignments focused on innovation but through a program called uh, softworks at the time s-o-f-w-e-r-x right. can you talk about what innovation me- meant in this con uh context and what the role of softworks was
1: definitely so um when I left the Naval Postgraduate School, I was actually um, involved with the Air Force Agency for Modeling and Simulation in Orlando. And there was a group at Special Operations Command in Tampa that knew I was up there and they reached out. They were called the Donovan Group. And it, it was a, a group of really bright thinkers, most of them were at the 06 level. And they said, look, we, um, we like the work that you did. Uh, we like what you, you pre- presented to the White House on, on your thesis work. We'd love to have you come down here and consider being part of the Donovan Group and joining the Softworks team. And I said, okay, well, tell me more. And they said, Softworks was established as an adjacent innovation hub to drive um, agile mechanisms for innovation for special operations. So how can we innovate smarter, faster, get the teams what they need, uh, both in the technology space, but then also in the acquisition space. And so I was intrigued. And uh, that's when I, for the first time, I met uh, Secretary uh, Hondo Gertz, Jim Gertz. Uh, He was the acquisition executive at the time. And when I got down there, I I did my presentation. I talked about all the technologies. And afterwards, he said, you know, you should think about coming down here. And and I said, I'm interested in it. And uh, I was skeptical, though I got to say, because they're telling me they're innovating inside government, and I, I laughed and I said, respectfully, I, I, I'm <laughs> skeptical of this. Um, and and so he he laughed back at me. He said, Well, look, if I'm wrong, you know, no harm, no foul. You, you go back and do what you want. But if I'm right, come here and, and work for me for three years. And so I went down there, and uh, I absolutely loved it. it. It was the facility was set up. Um, in an old tattoo parlor when we first started, which was trip. <laughs> um, and, and Ken, we had all kinds of amazing people coming in um, with different sorts of technologies. And we were at the time, we, uh, the, the unit was about two years old when I got there. And uh, we were maybe five people. Uh, now it's it's about 25 people and they've expanded to a 35,000 square foot facility. and. Uh, Typically, you're getting well over 100 people coming into the space to interact every single day. And and so that tool, Softworks became that tool to really drive adjacent innovation to support special operations. And I've got to say, the works idea that that Secretary Gertz came up with, that was his idea on the back of a napkin. I saw the original napkin. It was super cool. (laughs) Acceleration. How can we break things positively and move faster? How can we um, easily identify and right size policy and regulation in areas that are overregulated? How can we provide a safe space to test out emerging technology to understand the risks and the opportunities? And then how can we also provide a public space that allows us to bring in that deep expertise that we normally can't access in the government? Hackers and makers and academics and scientists and at the same time also explore agile acquisitions. So here is this really cool model that creates a friendly front door to the US government for startups, for small businesses, individual innovators, and non-traditionals to all come in as they are and contribute. And it was the coolest thing. So this is the first model, innovation model, that I've encountered in government that really made failures positive. Um, Things like validations where you would bring in a series of technologies and pit them against a problem. And if they succeeded, that's great, that's, that's a win. But if they failed, that's also great because then you could go back and talk to the customer if that happened to be a SEAL team or a special forces team uh, or AFSOC special tactics team, you could go in and say, hey, this technology didn't work and it won't ever work because it's just not a good fit or it will work, but we need to wait or, you know, 12 to 18 months for it to mature because this is what's coming. Or it will work if we pair it up with these existing technologies now and we can get it to you in the next seven days, or it already works. And that saved time, it saved money. We were able to share it across spaces because it's a joint environment across services and interagency partners too. So it really challenged the status quo around what we can do for innovation inside a, a big bureaucratic organization. And You see the works models have really spread out now from from Defense Works and then Naval X. And uh, it's super exciting because all of them are connected and talking and there's this super cool ecosystem that developed around it that is um, really being impactful and driving positive, positive innovation across the Defense Department, across our agency and allied partners.
0: Well, it, it must have worked well because as, as you and I got to know each other before this, uh, it re- your most recent promotion was to chief technology officer of AFWRX, so AFWERX. Yes. So with, uh, uh, and, and look, I have to, I usually don't like these long intros, but I so love the job description that you <laughs> wrote out in your profile. Serves as the lead tech scout for the US Air Force liaising with sister service interagency and allied partners expanding collaborative networks to support emerging requirements and the innovation ecosystem identifies and highlights risks, opportunities and threats from emerging technologies to senior level decision makers to help guide strategy plans, acquisitions and policy as applicable. I, it's just like a it's a dream job position. I, I think it's so cool. So what are some of the key areas in which you 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 focus on at AFWorks?
1: It is a dream job. And I got to tell you, I'm so proud of our team. And I'm so uh, humbled and proud to be part of the AFWorks team. Because once again, I found myself in another military family. SoftWorks was very much a military family feel to it. AFWorks is the same thing. And, and Ken, it, it's just, it's amazing. Um, so currently, right now, uh, we touch probably 37 different portfolios. The top 20 are the priorities, the bottom 10 tend to be weird things that might swap out, like um, you know something uh, along the lines of, of programmable materials might be one of the, the lower level areas that we're tracking, but it's not a priority like cybersecurity or space, space might be for our customers today. Um, but across those different areas, we have all of these challenges that are ongoing. We have all of these different initiatives and events. Um, one of my most recent favorites was the Hack a Satellite Challenge uh, that we did at DEFCON, where we offered $100,000 worth of prizes to international teams that started signing up and completing challenges towards the final competition, uh, May 22nd of this year. And they actually competed in August and uh, to see if they could hack an Air Force satellite from, from the surface planet and tell us how they did it and show us where the vulnerabilities were. And uh, the top 10 teams went forward and darn if one of them didn't do it, they got a $50,000 prize. Second place was 30 and third place was 20,000. And um, that saved us millions of dollars because we brought (laughs) really, really bright people.
0: You know it's so, it, it so counterintuitive so the US Air Force is paying people to hack its satellites. I imagine if you rewind, you know, 10 20 years that would have been a very different outcome.
1: <laughs> oh <my> goodness,
0: <laughs> that, yes, that is, that is just really amazing. I love it.
1: Yeah, but even 10 years ago, you know, even back in 2014 when I started to talk to the government about bringing in um, uncleared hackers From the regular hacker community, there was a a lot of resistance. There were a lot of um, stricken and horrified looks when I I suggested this. And uh, what has happened is people like Secretary Gertz opened the door and said, hey, this is a cool idea, let's try it out. And as we've done that, we've developed these amazing relationships with the hacker community, the maker community. These are regular citizens that want to give back to make the nation better. And it's, it's been amazing. I'll give you another example. Um, one of the teams that formed during uh, COVID-19 is the Cyber Threat Intelligence League. This is 1400 hackers across 70 nations, and I think it's 20 or 22 time zones. Um, all volunteers that are really talented in the area of cybersecurity and have identified vulnerabilities in research facilities and in hospitals and Wi-Fi enabled medical devices so that we can protect them in advance of them being ransomware or attacked um, or or potentially shut down. And to see a volunteer effort like this that is so so incredibly well connected internationally with the various law enforcement uh, community members to help protect and keep the public safe Um, And they're coming in to help us as well on on the military side to help, again, identify vulnerabilities early and protect and shore those up. It's just it's really blown me away. It's been a a fantastic um, example of exactly how and why we need these types of spaces to facilitate that public private sector team up. It's very powerful.
0: And speaking of these spaces, we recently participated in your AF Works Fusion 2020. I think it was your yes. first ever virtual Fusion conference. It Can you was. talk a little bit about the purpose of, of the Fusion series? Share some of your highlights from this year's event. And, and I think you're getting ready to do a number of other of these. So maybe a, a chance to get a little insight on what you're planning to do next.
1: Yeah, definitely. So Fusion was really designed as a way to highlight innovative solutions to the Air Force um, that were around priority Air Force areas of interest. But what we found very quickly was you're facilitating this cool environment for connection, for collaboration. And a lot of our sister services and interagency partners were like, "Hey, can we come join too? And we said, yeah, definitely. And that that makes it even better. So this year, I think we had um, over 5,000 participants, over 350 companies, um, the idea was focus on base of the future and base of the future was all about rebuilding Tyndall Air Force Base, which was destroyed by a category five hurricane, um, Hurricane Michael, we, we lost 40% of the infrastructure significant number of buildings. And so we wanted to not just rebuild it, but build it better and set an example for what a future base might look like, but also provide um, Initiatives and technologies that could benefit city spaces could benefit rural areas, and so we started to build this out in such a way that you know we made our speakers and our solutions available uh, to whole of government. But we also wanted to give back publicly. So if you go to our AfWorks uh, page for Base of the Future, we did some really cool like sizzle reels, and all of the speakers were recorded and we, we posted that on YouTube so people have access to that. Um, so really fusion is becoming that event that it does a lot for innovation, but it's also meant to inspire the future, not just for the Air Force, but for everyone. And at the end of the day, you know, the AFWorks team, we all joke about this. If we do our jobs right, we should create a, a culture of positive innovation that becomes the norm. And this, this permeates everything. And we should be able to you know, put ourselves out of a job if we do this right. That's the, that's the eventual goal. So um, it was a fantastic event. We, we focused on things like base security, installation resilience, um, different types of technologies to improve operational effectiveness, um, develop some really cool reverse engineering uh, techniques and solutions, and then that establishment of a culture of innovation, both inside and outside of the military to, to benefit the nation. That was a big core component. And then we also had airmen and family well being. Um, focus as a focus uh, during times of crisis. That happened before COVID. We find it's even more relevant now. And so we're really looking at um, how do we build out those technologies, you know, to make sure that we're caring for our people, but we're also providing solutions that can care for the nation too. And that that gets me excited because you know we all join the service to make a difference for the country. Now we're able to do, make a difference for the American people as well. So 1,500 ideas were submitted. Uh, We selected the top 370 and then we down selected, I think was uh, 92 or 93 that were chosen to move forward. So what you're going to see coming up is a continuance, but in a series of challenges. And so we've got these really cool challenges around uh, green energy coming up. We've, We've released six of them so far. Uh, looking at everything from austere operations to solar power to new battery technologies. And this is where we're bringing the public and the private sector and academia and non-traditionals together um, to really benefit from that innovation ecosystem and focus on these green energy solutions to benefit the Air Force, to benefit Tyndall during the rebuild and build better, and then also to benefit the nation as we look at how can we start to go carbon neutral or start to move in that direction? And and so these, these are super exciting technologies that we've got coming into play right now. So I can't wait to see what comes out of these next six challenges. That's gonna be really, really fun. And and speaking
0: of, I think uh, so. At the time we're recording this, you are planning a, a next big event. I think you're calling it Engage Space, and we've been officially invited, so we're on the insider list. Yeah, well. it sounds quite excited. I'm afraid though, by the time that we release this, it will already have been passed. But. Talk a little bit about what you're planning to do there. And by the way, it's so cool to scroll down in there and see the new Space Force logo there. It's,
1: it's pretty cool. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Oh my gosh! Yeah. It's, and you know, people are are super excited about it. You know, this is really where where we're we're looking towards the future. There's so many positive things uh, coming from from the space environment right now. And and I just um, oh my gosh we could do an entire podcast just on what's developing for space at, at this point in time, but the, the Engage space event is all about bringing together ment- mentors and networking around the space domain. These are our initial discussions, our initial explorations to see who's been working on what. And this, these are our, our uh, ecosystem partners from academia. Uh, you know, We work closely with the Academic Venture Accelerator um, and they have uh, the top 34 of 40 schools that are, you know, working technology transfer to the government and, and highlighting their tech solutions and, and showing, Hey, here's how we can help in these specific areas. Sometimes those are health areas like the COVID-19 Unite and Fight task force that was set up. That's, you know, inspirational because here you have people coming together to make a positive impact for the nation and the world around the pandemic. And a lot of these academics uh, and, and universities are coming in with these amazing ideas that they're, they're coming up with now or that they've had, but they, they found that hey, this is a perfect fit. We're seeing the same thing uh, when you're talking about the space domain and what comes next. And um, I got to tell you, Ken, I'm just I'm really excited. It's kind of like being in the, the early ages of Star Trek here with with some of the, the topics that are coming up. And uh, I had a wonderful discussion with a, a team that is building um, Oh, they're gas stations in space. <laughs> and I, I absolutely love it because they've already tested two of them out. They used one to get uh, water to the International Space Station. They've developed a, a space-based docking port so satellites could potentially refuel off of these, which means uh, for maintenance purposes and for cost purposes, we have much longer lifetimes and, and reduce maintenance. Um, we're talking to you know a number of companies around different types of robotics. Um, you know, I, I had the opportunity to team up as as a judge and a volunteer board member with with Moonmark Space. That is a focus on um, getting young people engaged around space, and uh, in particular, challenging them to really reach for the stars. And this one got me excited because in six weeks, we had uh, international high school teams that came together and competed. And we got our top two teams that developed for less than 50,000 each lunar rovers that will be launched in October of 2021 to the face of the moon. And these kids will get to race their their rovers on the moon. But for the first time, we now have um, high school students that are designing technologies that we could put on the moon and we can put little lasers on them. So you can do laser range finding. You can start to do measurements from the surface of the earth to the surface of the moon. Um, for less than $50,000 a pop. And these kids just did this in, in six weeks during COVID and everything was done virtually. So it, it was that kind of uh, event, that kind of coming together where I, I get to sit in as, as the Air Force person and, and look over the tech and, and judge and you know comment and advise that, that really gets me excited. These are the types of initiatives where we see the most benefit Coming out of it, because who would have thought that you know high schoolers could design successfully design lunar rovers for less than fifty thousand dollars in six weeks? It was awesome. Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Look, speaking of space, I, I as if all of your other accomplishments aren't enough. You're also a science fiction writer, having published oh, no. Shook, the first <laughs> book of your space trilogy in 2013, followed by Gauntlet in 2016. I actually love it. You're reaching for the stars, literally. So what inspired you to write these, and when can we expect the final book of the, uh, of the I trilogy? I knew you were going to ask me that. Oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> My fans hate me. They hate me. So, I, you know, I, I'm a huge sci-fi nerd. I have been since I was a kid. Everything and anything, comic books, sci-fi science fact, I, I would get my hands on it and just immerse myself in it. Loved, 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 and still to this day, love it. Um, and so I, I really got inspired Inspired while I was uh, teaching out in Texas uh, to write. And I, I did my first novel out there, uh, Gunship, and uh, teamed up with Adam Byrne uh, in the UK. Adam is an amazing artist. Uh, he actually worked on the la, The the most recent Wonder Woman movie, he was uh, involved with the CGI for the Final Fight scene, which I, I told him I said it better be awesome. <laughs> it better be really awesome, and it was. He did a great job on it um, but it, it was cool to see him bring to life um, the words, the story that I had put on the page uh, in, in the way that he did, and so I, I wanted to follow through, which I did with Gauntlet and uh, you know had a Had a great time there. I had a deployment in between that that kind of delayed that a bit and then came back and wrote it and finally got it published. Um, And I I published through a couple of indie publishers. So I think they're, I think both of them are out of print right now, Um, but they're both cliffhangers and my fans absolutely hate me because I haven't written the third one yet. I haven't even started writing the third one yet. And so I get all kinds of nasty emails and texts, this book no (laughs) we're not reading anymore because you left a cliffhanger for us and and we just we're not gonna know and so um yeah they uh they haven't found me yet please don't let them know where i live Um, (laughs) but i i I will eventually get to to (laughs) out. (laughs) i will eventually get the third book i hope um or I may start a, a different one entirely. I don't know. But the first two were a lot of fun, and, and just you know some of the technologies I had seen, and then you know having having been downrange in a in a deployed environment also inspired uh, bits and pieces of the stories. And, and the characters are often a, a conglomeration of of people that I I worked with or teamed with while I was over there. Um, so it, it was it was a lot of fun to work on both of those. I, I really enjoyed it.
0: Mm, excellent. Well, look. Final question. Um, as as an innovation officer, and I love the term that you use there. What advice would you offer to aspiring entrepreneurs?
1: Oh my goodness, I would say be passionate and do what you love. The rest happens. I, I see um, a lot of people that come in that have ideas uh, for businesses or technologies that they they want to bring to bear. Um, but they focus on the profit side. And when you do that, traditionally, those companies will fail. That's, you're not going into it with your whole heart. You're not doing something that you love. The companies that come in that are innovating around something that matters to them, something they're passionate about, something they really care about, that shines through. Uh, They have a story, it's personal. um, That business means something to them. And you can see how they're continuing to keep, you know, they're, they're engaging and learning and growing in the process and inspiring others in the process. And so those are the companies that hit the top 20%. That typically are the companies that, that make it through from the, the startup phase to the actual, I've got something that I'm passionate about and this is my corporation now and it goes global or it goes national, regional. Those are the companies that succeed. That would be the, the biggest piece of advice I would have. And then second to that, I would say, always, always listen. Um, be, opening, be open to listening to others. Uh, in many cases, um, you're never sure where that next idea might be or who might have the missing piece that you need to solve a problem or to link you into a problem set that you never even thought about solving, but your technology has part or, or all of that. And so listening to people, learning to people, um, engaging with people that are doing things that you'd like to do, if you seek them out and and you ask them questions or you ask them to mentor you if they have time and and learn from them, I also see a lot of people really growing in positive ways when they do this as an entrepreneur.
0: I love it. Be passionate, do what you love, and always listen. Sounds like something my own father would have told me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and I followed that advice. It sounds like both of us have. So, uh, yes, right yes. So, so, JJ, thank you so much for this inspirational interview.
1: Oh, Ken, it, it was my pleasure. And thanks for having me. This was such fun. And uh, again, you know, anytime you're, you're in the area, come see us at AFWorks. You know, we, we've got our three different hubs Austin, Vegas, and DC. We'd love to show you around and, and have you join us for a future event.
0: Oh, excellent. Well, this has been Lieutenant Colonel J.J. Snow, the Chief Technology Officer of the United States Air Force uh, AFWorks Program. I'd say an uh, innovation officer and lifelong innovator, science fiction writer, and somebody seeking to always make a difference. Uh, it's been a real pleasure to get to know you. Thank you for listening and, pleasure- and please join us for next week for another episode of our Digital Industry Leadership Podcast series produced by, for, and about digital industry leaders. Thank you.
1: listening to the Momenta
0: Digital Leadership Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the discussions and as always we welcome your comments and suggestions. Please check our website at momenta.one for archived versions of prior podcasts webinars as well as resources to help with your digital industry journey. Thank you for listening.